Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Monday, August 31st. Football season is upon us. I am your host this week, Sam Klein. I am joined by my usual colleagues, Donald Wine, live from uh, Washington, D.C. I am here, folks. How's it going? Uh, nice to nice to hear from you, Donald. It's been a while. And in Atlanta, Georgia, or somewhere thereabouts, Jason Evans. I am in Atlanta, Georgia. How can this be episode number 27? Wasn't the last episode number 31 in honor of Shane Battier? So, Should we read so number, was, number 32? So what I think we're going to do is call this episode 27, because prior to Shane Battier, we had episode 26, and then we'll just skip 31 once we get to it. How does that sound? Works that works for me. For me. So we're going to end up, like, by the time we get to 32, the Christian Leitner episode will actually be on the 32nd episode. So we're calling this episode 27. It's actually the 28th episode. Um, Guys, I'm reminded, but, uh, I'm reminded of Chevy Chase portraying Gerald Ford saying I was told there would be no math. <laughs> <laughs> our guest, um, our guest speaks up. Sam, introduce and, our uh, guest. And so, and so with that, I'll, uh, I'll introduce our, our very special guest for this week. Uh, if you are a Duke football fan, during the fall when it's football season, there are only two things you have to you really have to be doing. One of them is watching or attending all the Duke football games, either at Wallace Wade Stadium or wherever they happen to be playing that week. And the other thing you should be doing is reading Jim Sumner's uh, press conference recaps on the DBR forum because they spark, I think, the most uh, interesting conversation about the team on a week-to-week basis. So we figured that for our our football preview for this season, uh, we would bring on Jim Sumner, who I think, from reading what he writes on the DBR, may know more about the the whole working of the football program than anybody else. So, Jim, thank you for joining us. Glad to be here. Um, so, this is uh, this is going to be the first episode we've done that's been really focused on the football team. I think we've talked about the football team a couple times before, but we haven't really dedicated an episode to them. Um, and knowing that, you know, we're, we're producing this for Duke Basketball Report, um, we're not entirely sure what the football audience is like on the forum. Um, so we're going to do this episode. We have a, a few different types of questions we're going to ask Jim, and then we're going to post it, and I'm going to ask again in the forum for discussion on sort of what people liked and what they didn't, and we'll try to tailor the discussion to who we think is listening, because we're not sure if there's uh, as much the like casual Duke basketball fan who might be interested in football as opposed to the more hardcore Duke football fan, um, like the way that I think that I would describe myself, although I, I know that there are folks out there who know a lot more than I do. Um, so we're going to start with Jason, who has a few questions for Jim, and then we're going to and then I'm going to come back and ask him a few. So, Jason, why don't you get us started? Absolutely. And, and um, Jim, by the way, uh, as Sam was describing, my questions will be for the people who maybe aren't passionate, super passionate, unbelievable followers of Duke football. They don't study the the, the two deep and three deep uh, depth charts, and they're not aware of who we're recruiting in the 2017 class. This this is going to be a, a little more of a basic primer, and then Sam okay. will give us the advanced course, the upper level um, uh, Duke football questions. So let me start with what, just one of the most basic, simple questions that can possibly be asked about this coming season. Give me two or three names on offense and then two or three names on defense that we're going to be talking the most about, the guys that you think are the most important names for a Duke fan to know coming into this season, again, on offense and defense. Start with offense. Well, certainly you have to start with Thomas Sir, the quarterback. He's the, uh, yeah, I think a lot of the national media is focusing on, focusing on his relative lack of experience. He's a 
redshirt junior. He missed one whole year a couple of years ago. Uh, and Achilles Taylor, he has 14 career passes, and a lot of attention has been given to how inexperienced. And the backup quarterback is Parker Bame, has thrown two passes. So it's very inexperienced. But I'm thinking back to this time last year, and I'm not trying to hope this doesn't come across as overly harsh, but a lot of people think Duke was way ahead of the game at quarterback because Anthony Boone was a returning starter in a league with a lot of young, inexperienced quarterbacks. And you look as the season progresses, you have guys like Brad Kaya at Miami, who's a true freshman who comes in who's much better than a lot of the experienced quarterbacks. So I think you can put too much focus on experience and while ignoring the real talent. Now, you get you're you're not going to have a coach come up and tell somebody like me, we're really worried about quarterback. They're going to play the party line and say good things. But after you do this a while, you kind of get a feel for, you see the twinkle in the eye and the little extra excitement when somebody's going past the party line and is really excited about somebody. And Duke is really excited about Thomas Rook. He's 6'4", 215. Cutcliffe has said he is the fastest quarterback I've ever coached. Yeah, I was talking to Max McCaffrey the other day, and he says Rook plays the best long ball of any quarterback he's played with. So I think... Obviously, the proof is in the pudding. He's opening on on the road again, a hostile crowd and everything. But I think Thomas Rook is going to be an upgrade over what Duke has had in quarterback for the last few years. And again, I hope it doesn't it doesn't come across as overly harsh towards Anthony Boone. But I think Rook is going to be really, really good. If I mean, I've heard that from multiple sources. He's just dominated practices. He's an extremely hard worker. He understands the system. He's the guy all the running backs say. We really like Thomas because he stays after practice to work on the handoffs, the receivers. He stays after practice to work on our routes, the centers. He stays after practice to work on the exchanges. He he is. He, if he doesn't out-talent you, he's going to outwork you. The, the well, thing, I was going to say, you, you've convinced me. Give me one or two other names of some well, football guys. The, you, you, you can look at the offensive line, and you, the Duke lost a guard, Lakin Tomlinson, who's the best Duke football player in a generation, who started basically every game for four years, and their left tackle started every game for three-plus years. And I think, again, you can focus on what you don't have, but I think Duke's offensive line is going to be very, very good again. That's, Cutcliffe may have recruited that position better than any position. There's a center named Matt Skura fifth year senior. There is no more anonymous position in in American team sports than football offensive linemen. They don't have stats. They don't score points. They're a long way away in the middle of the pile. But Matt Skura is one of the best centers in the country. He's red shirt senior, six four, three oh five. He he could be as good at his position this year as Tomlinson was last year. He's that and what and what about on the other side of the ball? Who are we looking at on, on defense? Who's going to lead the way? I think well, uh, well, it's got to be Cash, right? Jeremy Cash, fifth-year senior, research senior. He's been on pretty much every preseason All-American team, including some first teams. Not all ACC, All-American. He is a safety who hits like a ton of bricks. He can cover. He is. Yeah, he's the guy that is, is going to be the linchpin. Duke has a very good secondary. The other two safeties, Devon Edwards and uh, DeAndre Singleton, are very, very good. Uh, Duke has one of their presumed starting corners out for the season with an injury. I mentioned earlier that Cut had recruited 
offensive line better than maybe any other position. The other position that would be uh, in, in contention for that distinction would be defensive and backfield. A lot of talent, a lot of depth. The guy that I think could be the breakout guy for Duke this year is Xavier Carmichael. He's a sophomore linebacker. He played last year as a true freshman, so he's not a redshirt sophomore. He's a true sophomore. Not enormously big, 220, but he can run. Uh, that's the thing you hear most often about Duke's defense. We've got guys who can run. What what Cutcliffe has done, he's taken, he's recruited corners and turned them into safeties, recruited safeties, turned them into linebackers, recruited linebackers, turned them into defensive ends, recruited defensive ends, turned them into defensive tackles. Uh, he, he, he wants guys who can run, and that's what he's got on defense. The counter to that, some, sometimes you look at a team like Pittsburgh last year, sometimes a small, quick team is vulnerable, another team just lining up and running the ball down your throats. So that's the question Duke's going to have. They've got a sequence of games in the middle of the season, Georgia Tech, Army, Pittsburgh, Boston College, you know, teams that are, are going to run. So I think Duke can defend the pass very, very well. The question is going to be, can they stop the run? The other uh, person I want to point out is Devon Edwards, who is a safety, but he's also absolutely one of the best kickoff returners in the country. We all remember he had some big, huge kickoff returns for the last couple of years, and you know, he's he's back, and he's 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 a force. Uh, Devon Edwards, of course, was the guy who a couple of years ago had that one game, incredible game, where I think he returned a punt, a touch, uh, uh, an interception, and a kickoff for for TDs in the same game. I mean, talk about an amazing game from a defensive player. Uh, hey, tell me really quick, Jim, um, what's the most surprising thing that you've seen or heard coming out of the preseason camp so far? The one thing that you go, wow, I, I never thought I'd hear this about this Duke team. Probably the biggest thing is that Duke has five true freshmen on the uh, the preseason two deep, four on, on, on defense. And Duke is replacing some key players on defense, but... From my conversations, it's it's freshmen who aren't going to play because there's nobody else who can do it. They're, the guys who have come in and just earned earned spots have come in and just they're so good you got to put them on the field. The guy that probably most intriguing is a true freshman defensive end named Marquis Price. He's big, lanky guy, six six, about two forty. He came in early, by coming in early. He enrolled for the spring semester. He was able to go through spring practice, so he's got a head start on the other true freshmen. He understands the plays, understands the systems, was able to acclimate himself to college life. But after spring practice, Cutcliffe just raved about him. Uh, he's 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 long, he's quick, he's going to be very disruptive, and he is right now running second team defensive end, and he's he's a player who could be uh, could be a real a real difference maker for Duke. Uh, okay, I'm going to finish up my sort of general basic questions for the Duke football uh, amateur, so to speak, with with a real basic, simple one, which is, where do you think Duke's going to fall in the ACC this year? What you know, what's your best case scenario? What's your worst case scenario for how Duke finishes the ACC season? Well, you look at the the. the I'm not sure there's a single game that Duke. And, and well, the, the first thing I think for Duke to have a successful season, it's essential for the Duke run the table in the four non-conference games. If they lose. Any of those, including Tulane Thursday night, you kind of have to say, oh, maybe there's more work to be done. They they really need to 
to win all four of those. If if you do that, you is, is that because is that because our non conference slate isn't that impressive? Well, it's solid, but there isn't anybody. You know, if if Duke, you know, if Duke is going to continue its upward trend or, or even maintain, they have you have to beat the teams you're supposed to beat. Duke isn't good enough to take anybody for granted. They should beat Tulane. They should beat Northwestern. They should beat Army. Obviously, NC Central. But they aren't so good they can beat them just by showing up and rolling the ball out. They have to do the things they've done in recent years, limiting turnovers, limiting sacks, dominating special teams, that sort of thing. They have to be focused and bring their A game. If they lose any one of those games, it's probably because they didn't bring their A game, and then that would be a you know, cause for concern. I think, Sirk, I've used – there's an ancient football action the quarterback gets too much credit when things are going well and too much blame when they aren't. Keeping that in mind, Sirk is absolutely, absolutely pivotal. If 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 he's a – to use, you know, baseball kind of term, if he's a replacement-level quarterback, in other words, if he's about where Boone was last year, I think Duke goes 4-4, four 5-3 and, four, and three in the ACC. If he's as good as I think he's going to be, I think Duke is very much going to be in the mix for – for playing in Charlotte. You look at the schedule, there isn't anybody, there, there's no Florida State, there's no Clemson, there's no Alabama. <laughs> there's not anybody say there is no way in the world Duke can win this game. By the same token, they're playing Wake Forest on the road, they're playing Virginia on the road, those on paper are the two weakest teams they've got. You know, so that, so it could go either way. I think probably five and three or six and two in the conference is is, is where they'll end up, but I can see it being Anywhere from eight and zero to three and five. It just depends on on. Yeah, I mentioned Circa. Obviously, Nick's got uh, the all important left tackle position that protects the blind side. They've got a redshirt sophomore who hasn't played much. They think he's going to be really good, but he's inexperienced. Uh, they're replacing virtually the entire defensive end contingent. They've you know they've got uh, they were counting on. Kelby Brown to anchor the linebacker core. He's obviously not going to play anymore. So there are legitimate questions, but I think, yeah, you know, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be very surprised if Duke wins fewer than eight games this year. I really do. And, and, and yeah, I, I say that with uh, the understanding that I'm a glass half full kind of guy. I, I still think there's a good chance that Ben Bennett's going to win the Heisman Trophy sometime. So. You know, you need to, <laughs> You need to keep that in mind. I'm, I'm, you know, it, it, it's sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. The title of the old Leslie Gore song. But I, I really think, I, I think the talent is is there. I think I've used the term cognitive dissonance to describe some of the critics, some or some of the skeptics of this year's Duke football day. Everybody agrees that Cutcliffe and his staff have upgraded Duke recruiting. They've got more speed more skill, more depth, more talent than they've ever had. He's bringing in the best recruiting class. Every year it gets better and better and better. And then at the same time, people are trying to say, well, I don't know how they can replace Crowder and Tomlinson and you know these guys. Well, you replace them by bringing in other good players. That's what good programs do. And I think this is the year where Duke has to prove there's a difference between a good, good team and a good program. You do that by replacing NFL-level talent without dropping off. And I think that's what Duke has to prove they can do this year. Well, I'm sold, but uh, uh, I'm going to hand things over to Sam now, who uh, who may have 
uh, a little more skepticism um, as a more watcher of Duke football than I am. Sam, your turn. Um, thanks, Jason. The one thing um, that you guys finished just now talking about was the schedule. Uh, and it's interesting to note, and I don't know if Jim, you have a comment on this. So this year, um, Duke's obviously got Tulane, the rest of the non-conference is NC Central, Northwestern, and uh, Army. And then our uh, our Atlantic Division uh, rotating opponent this year is Boston College. The next three years, we get Notre Dame uh, or Baylor each year in the non-conference, as well as um, as well as games against uh, the in 2016 Louisville, and then in 17 we play Florida State, and in 18 we play Clemson. Um, so this is that you know the the schedule after this year gets a lot harder because we're replacing not as good teams, uh, like two not so good teams with two very good teams, nationally, yeah. nationally relevant teams. Um, yeah. Do you see, do you see coach Cutcliffe planning ahead for that sort of thing? Or is that it's just going to come when it does and, and we're going to face these top teams and we're going to be ready for them. Yeah. I think it just, you, you prepare for them by, by, uh, by bringing in more talent. I, I, yeah, I don't think, you don't think you have a situation where he's playing a lesser talented young player over more, uh, or play, uh, he's playing a freshman over a senior with the expectation of, you know, being ready in two years. I think he's going to put going to put the best people out there. You mentioned the schedule. There's a question like I said before. I think Duke can win every game, but it, but you should also note that Duke only has six home games this year. Where they've had seven almost every year the last. I don't have to look at it, but as a general rule. Teams in Power Five conferences have seven home games. Duke only has six this year. On the other hand, how much of a home field advantage? Well, you look at the two games Duke's had against Pittsburgh. Each team won on the road, so I'm not sure. Have you know it, it, it? It's an absolute determining factor. But it is curious that Duke has that half of Duke's four non-conference games are on the road this year. Yeah, and and that next year uh, Duke plays at Northwestern and at Notre Dame in consecutive weeks. Um, yeah. Which is which is annoying because I'd like to go to Chicago, you know, con- on consecutive <laughs> yeah. years, not consecutive weekends. But you know, yeah. that's a I yeah. think that's a personal yeah. problem. Um, yeah. I wanted to talk about first about the wide receivers. Um, mm-hmm. I think the last few years you could say that that's been one of the most consistent, um, high performing groups on the field. You know, you you highlighted the offensive line and the defensive backs really well. Um, but we've just lost now. Uh, in the last few years, we had Jamison Crowder before him, Connor Vernon before him, Donovan Varner. All those guys, particularly Crowder and Vernon, uh, rank in the top of the ACC all time in in like career receptions and career receiving yards and touchdowns and all those sorts of things. Uh, yeah. How how different uh, is it going to be to watch a Duke offense that's highlighted by receivers in McCaffrey and Barnes? Who I don't, you know, McCaffrey I think has shown that he's got some of that explosive power. Uh, and, yeah. and Barnes has a little bit, although he's inconsistent. Um, neither of them is Jameson Crowder, and neither of them is Connor Vernon. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. what can we expect well, from them relative to what those guys have, have been for us the last couple of years? But there was a point when Jameson Crowder wasn't Jameson Crowder either. The, the, right. But yeah, you're right. It, it, it's uh, For all practical purposes, Dick only had four wide receivers in their rotation last year, and two of them were gone. Dick only has two. Right, you mentioned McCaffrey Barnes. They're the only two receivers in the program with more than five career catches. So there's a lot of young talent that needs to separate themselves. So I was comparing this to, to you know last week to a ten thousand meter race with one left left and there's eleven guys blanketed and you know the question is are, are some of these guys going to say I'm going I'm going to win the darn thing and 
can pull away. And right now, there's a lot of guys clustered together. You're not going to have an 11 receiver rotation or even an eight or nine receiver rotation. The guy, it, John L. Barnes is a fascinating player. He's been very inconsistent. Uh, Cutcliffe singled him out for criticism. Um, after the second scrimmage, and I think the interesting, I think he did, does that because he thinks he can be really good. I compare it to having two children. One is of average IQ, makes average grades. One's very bright and makes average grades. The one you come down on is the one who's very bright, who's underachieving. I think he, what Duke has told me is that Barnes makes more highlight real plays in practice and anybody on the team, but then he turns around. He's like, yeah, you make a baseball analogy, shortstop who makes a spectacular play in the hole in a long throw and then drops a routine pop-up the next play. He's got the potential to be a standout, and but he hasn't put it together. Whatever cliche you use, the light hasn't come on or he hasn't put it together, whatever. It hasn't happened for him. He's a junior now. He's not a baby. He's he's a veteran. He's He's. I think he's a. He could be as important to this team as anybody we were talking about earlier. Because he has the potential to be that Jamison Crowder, Donovan Vernon level breakaway receiver. And the other guy that I'm really intrigued by is Chris Taylor, a redshirt freshman from Florida. He, he and the guy named Travon Lee came in in the same class, and Lee was much more highly regarded. But a week after they started their freshman year, I was being told Taylor's better than Lee. Taylor's really good. He's one of these guys. He's one of these, a two-star stud. He's a redshirt freshman. He's never played. Uh, Nerves could be a factor, obviously, on the road, but he's got the potential. But potential, you know what I say about potential? You, know, you haven't. Duke has five or six wide receivers who have the potential to be breakaway. You know, there's T.J. Rowling, the freshman. There's Terrence Alls, who's suspended. Duke doesn't. Expect all these guys, if they all come through, great. But they need, between Barnes, Roming, Alls, Taylor, Lee, two or three of those guys have to come through in a big way. The other thing I would point out is how important Braxton Deaver is. If he stays healthy, knock on wood, you know, twiddle your rosary bead, whatever superstition you have. If Deaver stays healthy, he's one of the best receiving tight ends in the country. And Sean Wilson is an exceptionally good receiving wide uh, receiving running back. So you put a healthy Deaver out there and a healthy Wilson, Thurk isn't going to have to rely on the wide receivers. He has other options. That's the, 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 the tight end option is one that Boone really didn't have last year with, with Deaver being hurt. Duke just didn't throw the ball to their tight ends very much. And that's not that shouldn't be the case this year. And also – Point out, Eric Schneider, one of the backup tight ends, is, is a guy who's made tremendous progress. Big, six seven, two forty. He's a guy that has a lot of potential. He hasn't really fulfilled it yet, but so I think we'll see a lot of two tight end sets with uh, <clears throat> with David Schneider and 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 the other senior Reeves. So it's and, not just the wide receivers who are going to be going to be Strokes targets. And you brought up the the running back. You brought up Sean Wilson briefly, and I wanted to talk about the running backs um, coming in. I think to the spring, there was a lot of talk that Duke was really deep at running back. We had a lot of guys who could do a lot of different things, um, and it seems like the injury bug hit all of them in the last month. Um, a bad week. <laughs> yeah. So what I would say, what would be 
What do you think Duke's ideal depth chart at running back looks like? And what does it look like today? Um, like well, how different is it from the way that, that Coach Cutcliffe wants it to be? Yeah, well, the, obviously getting Jaleigh Duncan. I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy who was an impact runner a couple of years ago. He missed last year because of academics. He's had some shoulder surgeries, had some problems. He was, by all accounts, really looking good, worked hard in the offseason, was having a great practice, and then he – was injured, a collarbone injury. And uh, Cutcliffe indicated yesterday that Duncan was recovering maybe a little faster than Duke had thought, and he made the comment uh, that it's week to week. So I, I, I would I would expect Duncan back by at least by early October, perhaps as early as the Georgia Tech game. Sean Wilson uh I think it's, it's, it's supposed to be 100% by the Tulane game. Obviously, Shaq, Shaq Powell, who's who, you know, you have to, you know, your heart has to go out. The kid had an awful, awful summer. Everything I've I've heard is that he he's fully focused on football. That he's trying to put the tragic events of last summer behind him, and he's using football and his teammates as as a way to do that. So I think you know it, it, it's it's an interesting. The way Cut uses his running backs is is interesting. He's uh, in his tenure at Duke, he has had an All ACC player at every position except running back, and it's not because he doesn't have good running backs. It's because he's not going to take somebody out there and give them the ball 250 times. They can pile up stats. He he uses a lot of guys. You look at Juwan Thompson, who made an NFL roster last year after year he carried it. I don't know, 70 or 80 times or something. So he likes using a lot of running backs. If he has Powell, Wilson, and Duncan, that's three. He used four two years ago. You've got Joey G.B., Richard, sophomore, who's also coming back from injury. And then you've got Nico Pierre, the quarterback, who has moved to uh, running back. And I honestly have no idea if Pierre's going to stay there or not. Uh, it's still. That was he, my next question: Is what happens to Nico Pierre when everybody's healthy? He he's a big, strong. He's six three, two twenty. He's fast, but you look at him in the scrimmages. He doesn't quite have the feel. He's running too tall. He you know he, he doesn't have any experience blocking or catching. I just don't know. I mean, it uh, obviously it depends on what happens. You look at quarterback. Duke's got. Richard Jr., Richard sophomore, and two true freshmen they want to redshirt. So, you know, again, knock on wood, if there's any kind of injury to quarterback, I'd have to think Pierre would move back to quarterback in preference to burning a redshirt of one of the younger guys. Um, but long term, I don't know. Duke's losing one. The only senior on the, in the running back contingent is Powell, the ring in two kids next year, two very highly regarded running backs Britton Brown and Elijah DeVoe. So how many running backs do you need? Even if you use a, if you use a lot, how many are you going to need? I would also mention, and I'm not sure how much this is coach speak, Duke has a guy named Zach Bowden who's from Atlanta, from Jason's neck of the wood, went to the Lovett School, played at Harvard, had knee surgery set out of the year, transferred to Duke, set out last year as a transfer. He's a walk-on, but Cut said the other day he wouldn't, he would have no, no no problem whatsoever putting him into a game. That said, I'd be surprised if, if, if he's ever part of the rotation. But at least he gives you a, a good practice player who uh, you know, can absorb some of the 
you know, at least put him on the scout team. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. But ideally, I think, you know, he, he would like Powell, Wilson, and Duncan to get the bulk of the work and see what happens with with a JB and Pierre. Yeah. Um, in one word, how do I pronounce the last name of the backup quarterback? Fame. Fame. Okay. Thank you. Um, cause it is, it is a hard one. Um, <laughs> and, Oh, come on. And, we went through the, uh, the Yanga Akpakaroorak era. We can uh, part uh, of fame. That's right. Um, and, uh, and Chris Robacumba. Yep. Yep. And uh, of course, and, and right. Michael Tayuili uh, Ili. And Mike Tayuili Ili. I used to call him uh, Michael Tayuili Ili 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 So in, in years past, the quarter, I, I, I know I'm talking about the offense too much, but mm-hmm. I think these are all important. Um, the last few years, Cut has employed the uh, starting quarterback and then the like short yardage red zone yep. quarterback scheme. Um, is that still on the table this year? I feel like we haven't really heard I, you know, about it's funny. it. He talked about that at some length yesterday. He said that, yeah, I, I'm kind of like maybe in short yardage that we might see the running backs getting a little more of the work. He's a little kind of concerned about Parker Bain being, you know, he said, I, I, we don't want to use him as a fullback and get him pounded. Now, an interesting possibility would be to use Nico Pierre in that role, have him as the as the, and it's and it's worked in years past partially, I think, because the the red zone guy, you know, especially if you look at Brandon Kinnett, the red zone yeah. guy wasn't necessarily the backup. Um, yeah. yeah, he was he was the red zone guy, and it was sort of a separate position. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've argued that the Duke ought to officially call that short yardage grouping the Kinnett package. It should be in perpetuity, thirty years from now. You know, they should call it the Kinnett package. Certainly, it should be retired because he had. Most amazing knack for finding and utilizing the slightest little little crease. But right now, to answer your question, I think it would be Parker Bain, but I think we might see uh, you know, more conventional give the ball to Shaq Powell going over Matt Skura kind of kind of thing in short yardage. Okay, and then and then a quick question on the defense. Um, you mentioned that that one of the probably weak spots of this team is in the defensive line, uh, yeah. and then that may extend out to the linebackers, especially now that Kelby Brown is out. Uh, yeah. His brother Kyler is playing that that hybrid role that right. I think they're, they call it the devil position. Right. Um, right. Is that is that a position that you think ideally Coach Cutcliffe wants to exist, or would he rather it not be like that, and he would rather just have traditional defensive linemen? I think he would. Yeah. It it, it essentially the the main deal about that is in, in most situations the, the devil back is lines up at defensive end, but isn't in a three or four point stance. He's standing up. Uh, so, and the conversation I've had with Kyler Brown, he says he loves it because he can see over everybody. It gives him a, just a half a step quicker reaction. He can see the play developing better. He doesn't have to fight off a blocker quite as soon. He, he likes it. I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier. He, the, the guy, I was at Cut's first press conference at Duke when he was introduced, new coach, and about two minutes into that, he says, if you can run, we're going to find you. He wants to get speed on the field. He wants to just be able to run people down. I think that's part of that's why he went to the four two five to have that extra defensive back. I think it, you know, it's almost in some situations it's almost like a three three five, which I'm not sure sure actually exists. But I think it's it, it, it'll be interesting to see because he's got some young defensive ends. I mentioned Marcus Price earlier. 
He's got some young defensive ends who are really, really going to be good football players. They aren't there yet. I think I think Duke's going to be pretty good at defensive tackle. They've got some think about three young defensive tackles who are in the 300-pound range who can play. Defensive end is probably, if you'd ask me, the single position that is probably keeping the coaches up at night, I would say it would be defensive end. Duke's lost five defensive ends since the, uh, the 2013 Coastal Division champions. All five of the guys that played are gone. I was telling somebody earlier, defensive end, Duke has veterans and they have talent, but they aren't necessarily the same people. Right. So they've got like, yeah, they've moved two linebackers to defensive end since the end of last year, and I think they're doing it because they just got to have some help at that position. Um, um, yeah, no, I, it's. I think that's going to be the most interesting thing to watch as far as you know what might hold this team back um, is seeing how they handle that rotation, especially as you yeah. said with with the with the young talent that they really have. Um, yeah. And one last question: um, I want to go to the coaching staff. There's been a fair amount of turnover among the assistant coaches uh, in the last four or five years or so. Um, yeah. Coach Cuckoo Scott, he, it, it seemed like at the beginning he was bringing a lot of guys who he'd worked with a lot and and who had been on his staff, say, at Tennessee or, or at Ole Miss. Uh, the yeah. guys who are coming on now are, are young guys. I mean, like Jeff Ferris just graduated a few yeah. years ago. Uh, and he's yeah. he's become one of the main assistants on this team. Who do you? Yeah. Which of those which of those young assistants do you think has had the most impact uh, the last couple of years in in going from you know the the four to six win team that we were um, yeah. to now being yeah. last year nine and ten wins. Yeah, well, Bo, you you mentioned Ferris, Ferris and and Matt Guerrero, who uh, you hear the same thing about both of them. They both bring incredible energy on both recruiting and on the practice field, and that the players really relate to them. They seem to be really high-energy guys who, uh, you know, you talk about two guys who weren't great players or anything like that. They seem to be guys who really always envision themselves as coaches. Um, so I think that they're, they're, they're the two names that jump up. And you were talking about losing coaches. Keep in mind, Scotty Montgomery was a – Last year was his first year as the offensive coordinator, and you know, it'll be interesting to see. How, you know, for example, he didn't Duke didn't throw to the tight ends much last year compared to previous years. Was that because he didn't want to, or because Braxton Deaver, you know, was rehabbing his knee surgery? It'll be interesting to see what changes he makes this year. It, as, I think it's as, it's probably just that Scotty Montgomery doesn't like tight ends, right? Well, it could be. Could be. <laughs> well, he, they, they were probably taking a, all his catches away. But he was a wide out. But yeah, it, I just think that's going to be something to keep an something to keep an eye on too. Um, all right, I think yeah, I, I think I'm good on on those questions. I'm going to turn it over to Donald uh, okay. because we it is still the Duke basketball report, so we're going to have to ask at least a few questions about basketball. So we'll do that, and then and then we'll let you go. Um, so Donald, go ahead and take it away. Uh, okay. You actually stole my line. That was that was exactly what I was going to say. Um, this is a Duke basketball report podcast, and we, I think, by contract or by charter or something, uh, we have to ask some Duke hoops questions. So, uh, just a few. We'll start off with. Uh, uh, I want to start off with Derek Thornton. Um, do you think his late arrival uh, to campus will affect his ability to be the starting point guard this year on this team? Well, I don't think it'll affect his ability. The starting point guard. I think the question is, will it will it impact his effectiveness? I, I would hope not. But but yeah, I understand he you know, he hasn't been. 
playing with these guys in pickup games since since June. Duke has a lot of guys who can be competent backup point guards. Bernard certainly is is projected to be the backup point guard. I think Grayson Allen or Matt Jones, but I think Derek Thornton's the only guy right now you want to put out there 32 minutes against top-level competition. So that, yeah, I think that's a legitimate question. But, yes, people know he, he showed up late because he was he reclassified and he was finishing up academic stuff in high school. So it wasn't really – it's not like he said, you know what, Coach, I'd just rather spend the summer at the beach. He couldn't show up any 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 earlier. But, yeah, everything I've heard about him, he, he you know, he's one – he's a gym rat. He, he, he loves – he's a – He's a pure point guard in the sense that he understands what he's doing, what the other four guys are doing, what five guys on defense are doing. So I think he's yeah, he'll he'll whatever the learning curve is, he'll cut it. He'll he'll eat into he he will eat into it pretty pretty quickly. Yeah. So you you were mentioning uh, you know number of minutes that some of these players might be playing. Uh, I know on the forums one of the uh, best treads, in my opinion, is the tread about the dbr about the uh, minutes debate like who's gonna be playing minutes who's gonna be playing 30 who's gonna be playing 10 who's gonna be coming off the bench who's yeah. starting settle this debate for us please yeah i, I think i think uh, I, from what i've read on the boards uh satan stalin and hitler all spent a lot of time on uh projected minutes for games so i'm not sure why you're asking me that <laughs> but uh yeah i think uh, to me the biggest question is going to be the post players Plumley, OBG or I don't think it's hard for me to see all three of those guys getting major minutes in February I think traditionally Mike Krzyzewski experiments a lot early and then as the season goes he compresses the rotation when he compresses I don't think he's going to have those three guys all playing major minutes so that's going to be something keeping I think Jeter has the highest ceiling of the trio. He's the guy that you can you have to say, who's going to be playing in the NBA in five years? He's the guy you'd say is going to be playing in the NBA in five years. But he's also the youngest, the least experienced. So so we'll see. The other question is going to be how much will Brandon Ingram play at the three and how much will he will he play at the four? My, I'm on the side of saying he's going to play at the three, primarily maybe eight or ten minutes a game at the four. But, yeah, this – Wait, 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 wait. This is uh, this is Duke basketball. There are no positions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, basically, I'm so mad that you yeah, made that comment. Essentially, you look at she says she wants to has going to have one post player and one primary ball handler. The other three, yeah, there's some some fluidity. I I was this time last year, I I was absolutely adamant that Tyus Jones and Quinn Cook were going to play together, and Cook would be a very good off the ball guard. So pat myself on the shoulder. I was also equally adamant that Rashid Suleiman would lock up the small forward position and Justice Winslow would play about 15 minutes a game. So, yeah, you win some and you lose some. But you look at Ingram, the, it, yeah, I think you have to look at Ingram in prison of what happens with Emil Jefferson. If Jefferson. I don't think Duke wants Jefferson to play, to be the only post player, particularly when they have Jeter Plumley and Obi, and I don't think Jefferson's going to be on the bench. He's too important. He's the as a communicator, a defender, a rebounder. He's going to be, so if he's on the court a lot, Ingram has to be playing on the perimeter. 
in the way I see it, I just don't see any way they both get a lot of playing time if Ingram's playing playing the four. Because I just don't think Duke wants to send Jefferson back out there at the five again like they did two years ago. He, he was an effective rebounder, uh, had some ability as a rim protector. He just got abused by these 250, 260-pound centers. He's just not strong enough to play play the five to 30 minutes a game, in my opinion, especially when there are three options of guys who are big enough to play the five, 30 minutes a game. Yeah. It's, I feel like the, the, the fact that we have a lot of players who can play multiple positions will only make this debate continue because there's that you can see with these guys on the court, especially uh, when you throw into throw in K's tendencies to shorten uh, his bench as the season continues. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I go back the, his first national title team, 1991, uh, that was the team that was replacing three. This is back in the days, but we, people stuck around for four years. He had the, the 1990 team had uh, three senior starters, Allah, Abdullah, Phil Henderson, Robert Brecky. Uh, and the, the feeling was that team was a, a year away. Duke had nine players start at least eight games that, that year. He was moving people around. He went Twin Towers with Crawford Palmer and Christian Leitner. He started Tony Lane games when Grant Hill was out. He started Brian Davis. He started Greg Kubek. He flipped Thomas Hill and Billy McCaffrey. He just experimented. He was like a an alchemist in the lab. I have a feeling this could be that kind of season. Hopefully it would end the same way. But, I, you know, maybe some games Matt Jones will start and Grace Allen will come off the bench. And he'll try Grace Allen starting and Matt Jones coming off the bench. He'll flip the big guys. He'll, uh, you know, just do all – all sorts of things. And, yeah, I, I have no idea where Luke Kennard is going to fit in, but I think he's going to going to play a lot more than some some skeptics think. Obviously, he has to prove he he can guard ACC wings, but he's a very very talented offensive player with a high basketball IQ. But how does he fit into a perimeter rotation that includes Ingram, Allen, and Jones? You know. Yeah, all there good are questions. Worse problems to have than having nine nine ACC level players. I, I like the I like the the town you know the the plethora of riches uh, that we have. Um, switching shifting gears slightly, you were you were talking earlier about uh, some of these freshmen that have been coming in, um, and a lot of these names that you've mentioned are people who are have been you know coming in over the last couple of years. It seems like Coach K has had a renaissance in recruiting, you know, starting you know from a couple of years ago till now. How long do you think he can keep this sort of recruiting uh, success up? Well, it's interesting. I've been telling people he's five years away from retirement for about the last ten years, so he's mm-hmm. five years away from retirement. The, the 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 advantage of recruiting a lot of one and dones is it kind of takes that. Well, he won't be around when you're playing. He's going to retire. That it takes that problem out of the equation. The the other side of the coin, though, is you have to bring in, you have to replace your talent a lot more often uh yeah right you're right right he he's on a roll right now we don't you know the, the strong possibility dick's going to get you know in a major commitment in the next day or two and they're on the short list of uh, pretty much anybody now that they want to go after they make they make the short list but at some point you know the guy's what 68 69 at some point you know, gonna gonna have to start eating into. Uh, I think 
it'll be very interesting what happens after the 2016 Olympics. He, and he I'm, said on several occasions his last game will be at Duke. He's not going to retire before the Olympics. Obviously, he won't now because it's next summer. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. And, and the thing is, is there a, a succession plan? Uh, is, you know, can you tell a, a recruit, you know, I may not be here, but this guy will be? Yeah, and it's a perfect segue into are coming up next summer and uh, we saw this a little bit in 2012 uh, where coach K uh, was able to balance the Olympics uh, and all of the uh, not necessarily the hoopla behind it but but also the competitive nature of finding a player pool of probably 50 60 NBA players to a, a very competitive uh, tw- uh, group of 12 guys um, so how do you think he manages that delegation of duties between Duke and Team USA this year, particularly on that side, and where do you think the assistants fit into that equation? I honestly don't know. I'm not sure he knows. But I, but I will tell you one anecdote. A few years ago, I asked a program insider what was the secret of Mike's success. His success, and I expected an answer about passion or you know something like that. But his response was intriguing. He said, he's the best time, time manager I've ever seen. He simply knows how every minute of the day is going to be spent most efficiently. I think that's one of the reasons he's been been able to do this, been able to pull this off. He just knows, you know, he, he just he can he knows when to delegate, who to delegate to, how to delegate, when to be hands on. He's just, you know, he has it has it all together. It's um, you know, it's a real golden age for Duke basketball, no question about it. Hi, Jim. Uh, we, we really appreciate that and, uh, uh, and all your insight on football and basketball. And it's been great to listen to you. And I'm going to turn it back over to Sam. All right. Okay. Um, thanks, Bob. Thanks, Jim, uh, for your time. We'll, uh, maybe we'll get to catch up with you again sometime later on in football great. season or to talk about basketball. Okay. You, you know how to reach me. Uh, Jason has all the contact info. So <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to sign off now and uh, we'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks very much. Okay, thanks, Jim. Thanks, Good Jim. Stuff. Bye-bye. So once again, thanks to Jim Sumner for joining us, uh, providing a lot of good insight on, on football and on basketball. I'll start with Donald, who we just finished up with. Um, give me a takeaway or two from what Jim talked about uh, on, on either side of the, uh, the gridiron or, or the basketball court. Uh, first of all, I, I really think that we could have had a three-hour podcast and it would have been completely enlightening the entire three hours with, with him on the phone. That was tremendous i know a lot about about this game which is great um and i do like this takeaways with uh you know first of all how they feel about cirque uh I, I think he is going to be one of the major keys on offense because that is the biggest question mark and if you're looking at the duke program uh from the outside um how their quarterback position will play so i i, I thought that it's great that uh that he shed some light on the fact that the team really believes in him and really thinks that he can do well um, this year. Uh, and then, you know, from that football side, uh, from the offense of all the uh, uh, players that are coming back, um, uh, I know the the running back position, um, we have some great running backs, but obviously there are some some issues there with uh, Duncan's health and and hopefully uh, uh, Shaq Powell will, will be uh, 
100% ready to go uh, mentally. I know that, you know, he went through a lot this summer and, uh, but I think physically he's ready and ready to go uh, on the basketball side. I, it's just, it's just really good to see, you know, that there is going to be a lot of competition on all these different positions. Like you said, like he said, uh, there's going to be Thornton probably at starting, you know, at the point and then, and then the post player, and then everyone else is going to be playing multiple positions with, with different sets, different scenarios, different lineups. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see as, as fall practice starts, how that works. Yeah. I, I, I especially liked the about talking about Cirque because he's kind of the most interesting player on the on the football team this year. As far as if he's as good as as they you know maybe hint at, then this is going to be an excellent team. And if he's not, you know, if, if he's going to be closer to what Anthony Boone was last year, um, then then they're going to have a lot of trouble moving the football. Um, Jason, what were what were some of your takeaways? Well, like you guys, I was impressed with um, the optimism that he has for Duke football. And as you were saying, for Thomas Sirk, I mean, the, the number of platitudes, you know, fastest, best long, deep arm, you know, uh, all those kind of things that he was saying about Thomas Sirk would, would lead you to think that this guy who I think Jim said has thrown 15 passes. Think about that for a minute. He may throw 15 passes in the first half of his first game. This guy who's thrown 15 passes in his Duke career really looked like someone who's poised to become the latest in what has been a long, long line of very, very good Duke quarterbacks. Um, I think, unfortunately, Anthony Boone has broken the streak, but I, I recall hearing someplace, and I'm not the football guy that some of the other people are, that like the past like six or seven quarterbacks to start either a full season or a full two seasons under David Cutcliffe had earned an N a NFL paycheck, which is ridiculous. I mean, that's like absurd. Quarterbacks are one of the hardest positions to make in the NFL. And I mean, the line of quarterbacks that he has had one after another, after another, Thad Lewis, Sean Renfrey, you know, it's just been, a, you know, a constant barrage of really great quarterbacks at Duke. Um, and it, and yet they're using these best, you know, speed, best long distance deep arm to describe Thomas Sirk. Uh, it really makes you incredibly optimistic about what Duke can, can do in the ACC this year. And as Jim pointed out with a very favorable schedule, um, uh, eight, nine wins doesn't even seem like a stretch. I yeah, mean, it, 10, I 10 wins, 10 wins seems pretty realistic. I'm not saying I'm predicting that, but 10 wins seems realistic for this Duke team. No, it's and, amazing. And, and as he pointed out, there's no one on the schedule that we're definitely going to lose to. Um, and that's, that's, I think the huge change from even, even like three years ago. I mean, even the year that we, that we made the Belk bowl, um, in uh, in 2012, yeah, that that team won six games. That team won a, a few games, most of its games, I think, against other teams that were really really bad. And and that team got blown out a few times um, by teams that were clearly better than they were. Uh, and and that gap, I think, I mean, part of it is the schedule, but that gap is shrinking between Duke and the very top of of at least the ACC, if not all of college football. I'm really curious to see how that progresses. You know how I alluded to the schedule coming up the next few years and how Duke can compete with, with, you know, current Notre Dame or current Baylor um, teams that, that are like consistent top 25, top 15 type teams. Um, it, it, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. And, and really quick, I also wanted to add on the basketball side. I thought there were two observations that Jim made that were really, really excellent. One was because Duke is now going after more and more one and done. And because one and done is becoming so much more widely accepted 
um, both by coaches and by players. The, the question of how much longer is Coach K going to coach? Um, you know, am I going to be there for for Coach K, or is he recruiting me for someone else who's going to replace him? Has gone by the wayside because these top recruits know. Well, he's he's recruiting me to you know to be here in six months, nine months, maybe a year, and he's definitely going to be here at that point. Uh, mm -hmm. So this this question of when Coach K retires has sort of been put to bed because of the one and done, which is something I hadn't thought of. And Jim really articulated that beautifully. And then the other thing I really, you know, thought was very insightful was, uh, you know, I think a lot of Duke fans, a lot of folks sort of wanted to dismiss Plumlee and Obi and to a lesser extent Jeter and say, oh, no, Kay's going to put the five most talented guys on the floor, which I think Kay usually does. But Jim said, you know, that if you do that, if you got Brandon Ingram at the four, because he's clearly one of the five most talented guys, and and Emil Jefferson, who's the senior captain and the most experienced guy, well, suddenly Emil Jefferson's playing, uh, you know, post defense against someone who's much bigger and stronger, and Duke doesn't really want that. We we tried that before and didn't work great. I mean, it sometimes works. He did a heck of a job against Frank Kaminsky, um, uh, but uh, you know, over the course of a season, that's not what Duke wants. Um, and I think so many people, uh, you know, Jim really comes at this from the standpoint of, you know, how do we defend? And, uh, you know, I think it could be very difficult to defend with Emil Jefferson at the five for extended minutes. Sorry, Sam, you were going to say something. Well, I was going to say that um, in, the, in that situation where they're playing that lineup, I wouldn't be surprised to see Matt Jones defending in the interior just because he's, you know, he's kind of a bulkier guy and he might be able to handle a center better than, I mean, certainly better than Ingram will because Ingram is a stick at this point. Mm -hmm. um yeah i'm, I'm uh, curious I mean, you, to see how wait, wait, it balances wait, wait. I, the offense versus defense thing wait i, I want to ask are, are are you actually saying that you think when we're playing carolina that matt jones would try to guard kennedy meeks no i <laughs> i mean kennedy meeks is his own special uh his own special brand of of present day sean may and and in that game we're gonna see you know plumley and ob maybe exclusively at the five against meeks because that you yeah. know matt jones will be defending kennedy meeks um, but he is capable of guarding bigger players. I mean, he he uh, he bodied up Sam Decker pretty good in the national championship game. And Sam Decker obviously was a perimeter guy, but he was one of the bigger dudes, uh, you know, one of the bigger, like really effective dudes in college basketball last year. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Matt Jones um, defending in the interior a little bit. That's, you know, that, that that's a, that's an idea. I don't know if it's actually going to happen. Um, I did want to talk. Oh, go I, ahead, Donald. Finish, oh, finish I was going to, I was going to shift slightly back to football uh, for okay, one second. I was going to do so too. So why don't you go ahead and start? Okay, so uh, you know we a lot of people talk about the upcoming season. Whenever the college football season starts, it's kind of like the Christmas Day of football. You 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 don't know what your team's going to expect, but you have that same anticipation. Um, when he was talking about Cirque and all the you know the laurels that he's getting from uh, from the coaching staff about what he can do, uh, is kind of an interesting anticipation to see what he can do because it's not like he's a freshman. It's not like he's an incoming guy where you've never seen him play. We saw him play a lot last year, um, but we basically saw him as the jumbo back quarterback in goal line situations. We saw him really do one thing and that's to get that one yard that we need for a touchdown or for uh, a first down on, on a, on a fourth and, and short. So I think it is going to be really interesting on Thursday night to see what he can do airing the ball out. If he had, and let's see this arm uh, that we've heard about from, uh, from Jim. I, I think that's adding to this anticipation of, of Thursday night for me. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing that, that Jim talked about, I think I'll, I'll finish with, with my kind of takeaway. Um, 
the thing that Jim talked about that I thought was really interesting and that is has that I've picked up on as a theme and I think has been written about is how David Cutcliffe has gone after speed in in, in recruiting and in and in game planning on this team and that you know the, the downside of that obviously is against teams like Pittsburgh who who feature premier running backs like James Conner that they might they might be not as talented overall but may have a good advantage against Duke because they have that size um, but Duke has been has been faster I think than most of the teams that it, that they've played the last few years in that 2013 season when we won 10 games and and the ACC Coastal Division the thing that really separated that team from its competition was its ability to to run really fast and especially into the fourth quarter they were conditioned better than other teams they were conditioned better than the Miami team they that they beat the NC State team I mean these were these were like pretty decent um, ACC football teams coming into November and and prior to that season Duke's big problem that that folks had talked about uh, especially reflecting on the six win team the year before was that yeah great they can they, okay now they've upgraded the talent enough that they can beat you know crummy um, like one double A schools and low one A schools but they're not able to run with these with these good ACC these athletic ACC teams and that really changed uh, in that 2013 season and then we saw it again last year in 2014. I think that one of the most interesting guys that came through this program who graduated two years ago uh, was the cornerback Ross Cockrell, who came in. Another, I mean, he's another. He's one of these guys who was really fast, but maybe didn't have his his position figured out. He got thrown into uh, into action as a as a freshman and really wasn't ready for it. And I I think about his career arc going from you know not being a great not being a great freshman, being targeted all the time, um, getting harassed on defense. To him becoming a senior, he was a captain of the of the defense. He was one of the best cornerbacks in the ACC. And Jim kind of talked about the about John L. Barnes, the wide receiver. And I would like to think that John L. Barnes is you know can learn from what happened to Ross Cockrell. It's a different position, obviously, but same kind of thing. Really talented physically, um, hasn't got hasn't got all of the awareness together to kind of put it together as a as a top ACC performer. Um, I see John L. Barnes being able to do that um, and maybe taking inspiration from a guy like Cockerell who um, who was able to put it together. I, I see more and more of those types of guys coming together. You know, the, the Devon Edwards players, the ones who just break out as freshmen, that's not that's not the norm. That's not something they can count on. They got to have guys who, especially if they're recruiting these two and three star guys who are really just really fast, um, they're going to take longer to develop. And, and in some cases, it's been really worth the wait. So I'm, I really like that aspect of the program. I like that Cutcliffe has kind of figured out, you know, where uh, he can find talent that's not the whole package and develop it. Um, so let's uh, let's kind of wrap it up. Um, maybe uh, maybe just because we're doing just because we're doing football preview, we'll get, we'll come back to basketball. Um, but give me a last thought or a prediction or a guide, anything that you want to say about the football season before uh, the team kicks off against Tulane on Thursday night. Jason, go ahead. Uh, I'm I'm very optimistic. I, I I will be disappointed with eight wins. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. How about that? I like How it. about that? Put, put that on the board. Um, <laughs> all right. Jason is in for eight wins. Donald, you're up. Uh, I'm just gonna go with Thursday night. Uh, I you know it's it's a difficult game to predict uh, with the intangibles. Uh, we're of course playing at Tulane. Tulane in, in New Orleans, all of New Orleans, really in the entire nation has been, you know, uh, pausing to reflect on 10 years after Katrina. They're going to come out fired up. 
this is a stadium that only exists because their other stadium was partially uh, destroyed by Hurricane Katrina. So they're going to be fired up, and we need to match that intensity right off the bat. It is a perfect time for us. We're on national TV. We are one of the few games that open up college football a couple days early, and the eyes of the nation are going to be on us. How do we respond? I think we respond pretty well, and and I think we get the W. So uh, I, I think that is going to be the, the key. Intensity off the bat, and everything else will fall into place, I feel. I like that we're starting on a Thursday night. I think it's nice that we, you know, to get the little extra rest after the the first game. Um, the guys aren't all, you know, deep into the academic term. So so maybe missing a, a weekday or two um, is not the worst during your first week of school. Uh, so that on that side, it's good. Um, the thing that I'm really looking at is that this team the last three years has gone to bowl games. And you could say that, you know, that maybe the Sun Bowl isn't quite as good as the Peach Bowl that we played in the year before. But it's becoming a habit now for this program to want to go to a bowl game. I was reading um, Patrick Stevens' preview of Duke football earlier today. And, uh, you know, the comment is basically Duke expects to go to a bowl game. They don't expect to, they don't expect to have a losing season. They, they are competitive with everybody. And it's just a general note about the program. And Jason says it right when he's predicting eight wins. So much has changed about this program. We can't say enough about, about the job that Coach Cutcliffe and his staff have done um in turning this program from what really was like a total joke uh not so long ago i mean his his immediate predecessor um that, that program was a was was a total joke nationally and in the acc and now it's it's a very serious place to play football um they everyone takes them seriously on the schedule and it's just such a credit to see you know the guys who are now like redshirt juniors and, and seniors they are almost totally removed from Duke being a, a doormat in, in the conference. Uh, and, and it won't be, you know, it's now only going to be a year before guys, everybody who's playing has only played in bowl games and has never, and has never seen not a bowl game, has never well, seen a season end without a bowl game. And the uh, quality of the recruiting, the quality of the kids that he's bringing in, Cutcliffe has complete. I remember, I vividly remember when Duke would sign a kid and it would say he also had offers from the Citadel and Georgia Southern. And I'd be like, how are we supposed to compete with, you know, in a BCS conference with the top of the ACC, with anyone in the ACC, when we're signing guys who are deciding between going to Duke or going to a one double A or division two school, which is what frankly, a lot of the kids were deciding. And now Duke is signing half the class is four-star recruits. It feels like we're getting nothing but three and four-star recruits. It's, it, it's amazing how much Cutcliffe has upgraded this program, um, both in terms of on-field results and then following that up by the incredible recruiting. And, and you're seeing it in the fact that, and this is one of the things that Jim pointed out. I know we're hearkening back to something 30 minutes ago in the podcast, but Jim said the most surprising thing to him when I asked him that question is that he said, there are five true freshmen five true freshmen who are in our two deep and it's not because our two deep is not talented um, and that we need to have freshmen there. It's because those freshmen are so darn good that they deserve to be there. These kids are such studs that they deserve to be on the two deep. They deserve to get time and contribute to Duke right away. Um, what a statement about how far Duke has come. And one other thing, you guys said eight wins. I was predicting eight. No, no, no. What I said was I'd be disappointed in eight. You asked me to predict, you give me an over or under number, I'm going to tell you nine, maybe nine and a half. This Duke team is going to be very, very good. The schedule sets up beautifully for us. Uh, I, like I said, I'll be disappointed 
in eight wins. And and you look at a guy, I think that the guy that epitomizes that that change in recruiting and then the change in the quality uh, is Jeremy Cash, the the senior safety who yes, transferred. Yes. He only transferred from Ohio State because his coach Jim Tressel, you know, was was <laughs> let go. Um, and uh, and I remember reading a, a story a little while ago this summer that. Thank you, know, you Ohio Cash. State. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that, that Jeremy Cash came to Duke because because he asked Jim Tressel. He said, "You know, where, where do I go now? I wanted to play for you." And and Jim Tressel was the one that recommended that he that he come check out David Cutcliffe and check out Duke. And that guy has become a total stud for us. Um, you know, he Jim said that Lakin Tomlinson's been the best football player at Duke the last few years. I think with a, a season like he had last year, Jeremy Cash would would overtake him. Um, certainly has a chance to be a very high NFL draft pick. He's got the size, the speed, he's got the ability. Um, and, and he's just such a force all over the field on defense. Um, he's able to, he's able to make plays in the backfield. He's able to make plays deep. Uh, he's just, he's so dynamic and he's so good at, at leading that, that group. Um, you know, he's been, he's been a leader of the, of the defensive backs and of the whole defense for a few years now. And it's, it's great that he came back. It's amazing that he, that, that we have anybody who's thinking about, you know, maybe I'll just go to the NFL instead of coming back for my last year in college. Um, but that was a real decision for him. It's awesome that he's back. It's awesome that he's leading this team. And I think that he's going to be uh, sort of the most prominent uh, for, prominent player on this team. Um, so, all right. I think we're all sufficiently excited for football season. I, I've mentioned on the forum that I'm going to be in New Orleans on Thursday night. I'm really excited uh, to, to check out another Duke football game there. It's, it's always fun every time I go. Um, so I can't wait for that. I hope you guys will be watching. Um, and we'll, uh, like I mentioned at the top, we'll kind of figure out sort of what people want out of our uh, football discussion here. Um, we'll try to make it a weekly thing. We'll, we'll do our very best to, to, you know, talk about each game as they happen. Um, but so we'll, it, it's, it's still in work. Um, I'm, I'm honestly really excited and, and maybe a little bit surprised that we, that we have lasted as a program as long as we have, and I'm very happy to keep doing it. Um, so, if that's it, any if you guys have any last thoughts, or I'm gonna, I can, I can wrap this bad, this bad boy up. Hey, Sam, I, I do want to jump in for one second. I, I think there's one more thing we need to talk about because we just got word that Frank Jackson, combo guard out of Utah, member of the class of 2016, um, uh, has just committed to Duke. Um, this is obviously, you know, this follows up. Uh, Coach K, it looks like, is setting up an amazing, amazing class for 2016. We're thrilled to be getting Jackson on board. I'll tell you something that I hadn't really mentioned to anybody. I was a little worried about this, and I'll tell you why I was worried about whether Frank Jackson would come to Duke, because everyone's been convinced he was going to commit to Duke. The We, we heard that you know it was 100% on the 24-7 crystal ball, and everyone's been saying for a while that it was – he was destined to come to Duke, and he just had his visit to Duke over the weekend. Um, and and here we are, just a couple days later, and he's committing. And everyone said, "Oh, it's it was a done deal for Duke all along." Here's why I was nervous. Do you guys know what Frank Jackson's father does? What Frank Jackson's father is in the state of Utah? No, no, tell us. He is a state senator. Uh, he was he he uh, he's the guy. He got his MBA from Johns Hopkins. Very very bright man. Very successful consultant in the aerospace industry. And a couple of years ago, there was a state senator in Utah who couldn't fulfill his term. And Al Jackson, Frank's father, was appointed to replace this guy in the state senate. And now, um, for 2016, for next year, um, for the election, uh, uh, Al Jackson is up for. 
uh, re-election to the seat that he's currently holding, even though he's never run for election before. This is his first campaign. Again, he was appointed to the seat. Now he has to have to actually run. And if you look at his web page, the Al Jackson for State Senate page, at the very bottom of the page where it's describing his family, um, he has five children, Kayla, 19, Franklin, 16, Mary Al, it goes on and it says what they're all doing. It says, Franklin has verbally committed to attend BYU on a basketball scholarship. Now that's old news. Frank, Frank committed to BYU a couple of years ago. He then rescinded his commitment and everyone thinks, you know, he's now picked Duke, of course. But I worry that there are political ramifications for a kid this good in the state of Utah to pick Duke instead of picking BYU or Utah, that uh, his father could potentially be looking at a more difficult uh, election because his son spurred the the local spurned the the local university, and so I was a little worried that we might not get Frank Jackson because Al Jackson, the dad, had to run for office after his son had had said no no to BYU, but we got him anyway. So so I'm thrilled and. And my worries, I guess, were for nothing. But I mean, man, it's just great to get this kid. He's going to be—he's such a stud scorer. He's going to be so much fun to watch in the Duke backcourt. Jason, I think you're the master at uh, fitting in politics into this podcast for the very first time without going PPB. So I, I commend you for that. That was pretty good. Yeah, thank you, Al Jackson. By the way, Frank's father, a Republican. Yeah, see, I had no idea. <laughs> You know what? In fact, I bet that's one of the reasons his son picked Coach okay, K. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> now we're PPB. Now we're doing Coach, Coach K is Republican. <laughs> K is a we well-known know. Republican, which is we're fine. Not, we're, not, we're not going down this road. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hosting a speak. Next time, next time you host, we can have a whole PPB discussion. Um, but we're not going to do that on my watch. I am very excited for Frank Jackson, the basketball player. I hope that his dad is as enthusiastic as Chucky Okafor was for us last year. Um, and yeah, you said it. He's, he's such a dynamic scorer. Um, he's going to be able to fit into this team in a lot of different ways. Um, be it, you know, playing point guard as necessary, being, being on the perimeter, um, He's just, he's one of those guys that, that you want on your basketball team. He's able to do a lot. Um, he's going to be able to pass and shoot and, and move around. Uh, I hope he plays that coach K defense, but man, the, the uh, backcourt has just, has been so good. You know, we've got Thornton coming in this year who everybody is raving about. And a lot of folks think is not going to be leaving after the first year. Um, you've got Luke Kennard who, you know, presumably is like the backup point guard this year. Who knows how many minutes he's going to get, but he's going to be great. Grayson Allen, um, who I think it, I don't think is going to be leaving after this year. A lot of people are convinced that that's, that that's yes, going to happen. Is. Yes, he is. Um, the 2016 right. draft is terrible. He's going to leave because it's such a bad draft. He'd be crazy to stick around, I think. Well, even, even if he doesn't, I mean, we still have all those guys. We still have Matt Jones. Um, so the, the backcourt is – the composition for minutes in the backcourt is going to be fierce, and I expect Frank Jackson to have a huge impact uh, immediately on this team. Well, and, and you know what? The, one of the nice things is, he, so Frank Jackson's the second sort of elite top 10, top 15 recruit we've gotten in the 2016 class. 2016 is considered one of the great recruiting classes, um, uh, you know, in a recent memory. Um, and, and Duke appears to be really, really loading up in this class. Um, and, you know, it just sets the stage for the program just to continue to be at the very, very, very top. Um, you know, the Vegas odds makers make us second only to Kentucky um, among the, the top picks to be to win the title this year. 
um, you know, with the recruits we've got coming in, the guys we're going to have coming back, we're going to be up there again. It's, it's, God, it's just good to be Duke right now. Yeah. And we didn't, you know, the, the podcast, we kind of, we took big chunks of time off in the summer. I don't even know if we really got to, got to talk that much about Jason Tatum and what a big commitment he was. And obviously they're still looking at, at uh, hopefully signing Giles. Giles in the near future. Yeah. Um, so like you said, this, this class could end up being, could end up being another one of these incredible classes. I mean, it already is. I mean, you know, just with, just with Tatum and Jackson, you've got two of the very elite players in this class uh, and, and the potential to add one or two more. I love gold and we have a lot. Of- <laughs> That's right. Keep getting more money. <laughs> uh, well, well, we got We have to. Uh, we have to be able to decorate those national champion hats with with appropriate colors. So, exactly. Oh, oh. you are going to talk about your snapback hats again? I hate. Them. I hate them. <laughs> I'm such an old man. I uh, I, I showed my oh. I showed my my Duke national champion snapback hat to a friend of mine the other day who went to Arkansas, um, and they were like, "Oh God, terrible." I was like, what do you mean? It's so awesome. <laughs> Go on. You, hold hold you guys didn't wear those during the summer because with the amount of reflection on the bottom of those hats, oh, you get a disaster. horrible suntan. No, yeah, you know, sunburn. I, I only wear Oh, I, I was I was tight in mine. I had mine, I had mine at a at a Duke softball tournament, uh, or alumni softball tournament. Of course, we walk around in, in Wisconsin and Maryland and all these other teams are looking at me all funny, but I had to hat on so they couldn't say anything. Yeah. No, it's, it's totally the hardware different. speaks, baby. The hardware speaks for us. Exactly. Um, all right. I think uh, I think that wraps it up. We got Frank Jackson. Um, congratulations to him for picking uh, for picking a good school. Um, thanks, Jason, for for bringing that news up, because that's obviously huge news for the Duke program. So so the only thing I want to add, Sam, is that we somehow made it through an entire podcast and we did not once talk about those lying, cheating bastards over at North Carolina and, and how they're continuing to delay things uh, with the NCAA. We made it through a podcast without talking about it. I can't believe it. Yeah, uh, um, we, we uh, did until you just mentioned it. So I hate them. I hate them. I can't believe it. <laughs> Jason, don't, Jason please, don't get me started. Don't get me started. Jason always seems to get angry like at the, at the best times, sort of the, right at the end here. You know, he really lets it build up. Um, we, I mean, we're, we're still waiting on the, on the committee on infractions because UNC is, is playing uh, four corners with them. So uh, we'll, we'll see what, you know, when news comes out, I, I appreciated that. When news comes out about UNC, uh, you know that you'll be able to come here for the best, uh, most unbiased, level-headed discussion uh, from our Atlanta correspondent. So uh, <laughs> biased. I am biased. I'm fully so, biased on this one. Completely, so, completely real. It's going to be real. All right. So with that, um, we're looking forward, obviously, to the game on Thursday night, Duke at Tulane. I'll be there. I'm really excited. Uh, hope that we can do another episode for you guys soon and, and really get football season going. Um, so for Jason Evans and Donald Wine, I'm Sam Klein. This was the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home. Duke gang. Ha, 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 ha.